All right, good morning. Good morning. Need silence. Um, well, it's good to be with everybody again and to continue to try and teach. Um, I'm realizing that nobody apparently likes Chris, which is, I don't know why that is. He's a, he's a nice guy, but um, if you've been with us, you know that we're going through the pastoral epistles, which is First First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, and Chris and Bennett went through First Timothy, and now I've uh, started here a study on the book of Second Timothy, so go ahead and turn there if you would in your Bibles. And we got through a little bit last week, I think we got through about verse 5. There it talks about sincere faith. So can anybody remind me of anything that we talked about, those who were here, what we talked about last week? Always a dangerous question because you find out how little of impact you had. Yeah. You talked about the difference between the introduction of of Second Timothy because Paul was starting to realize that he's at the end of his journey. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, he realized, yeah, by the introduction, how important it was to Paul that he gets us across the temple. Mm-hmm. And then he puts in that phrase there, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. And I think this, again, this epistle is probably the last epistle that Paul wrote uh, in his life. He's imprisoned in Rome in his second imprisonment, and this is very different than his first imprisonment. So he's kind of anticipating that he might not uh, make it out of this one. And I think kind of that phrase there, this isn't included in any of his other epistles, may be because he was clinging so closely to that promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, which I think we would all understand if we were in that situation, we would as well. Uh, anybody else have anything? Good. Yeah, something that grabbed my attention last week was the idea that he talks about serving God with a clear conscience. Um, and what that must mean, because, I mean, again, he's a former persecutor or terrorist that's, you know, participated in murders and stuff like that. Uh, so that must refer to the way that Jesus' blood cleanses our conscience. I mean, you know, I, I keep... I, to, to imagine participating in somebody's murder, I mean, that, that would typically yeah. have you, you know, you'd have regret for that for decades. But, you know, the righteousness that we have in Jesus is such that you can still think of yourself as having a clear conscience, even if you were formerly a murderer. Yeah, as speaks to the amazing grace that we have in, in Christ that it can clear our conscience over something like that. I mean, I think, yeah, if you had just murdered somebody or been a part of a murder, that'd be really difficult to get over. But, Andrew. Something That's the only reason that anybody, no matter how small the sin is, can have a clear conscience. How many times the devil would bring up our own sins? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Try, try say, yeah, but you did this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's very true. Anything else before we move on? Okay, we'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and read the whole first chapter again uh, so we can get a good context of what's going on here, and then we'll pick up in verse 5. So, starting in verse 1 Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, According to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, 
of faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the, for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because, of our own, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. And found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Any quickly, anything that sticks out to you, questions that you guys have uh, over the first chapter? Okay, we'll go ahead and uh, pick up there in verse 5, where it talks about Timothy, or where Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. So again, we know that Paul and Timothy are very close to one another. Paul thinks of Timothy as really his own son, um, has mentored him in the faith, and has spent a lot of time with Timothy, and so knows his life very well. And he says that I know that you have sincere faith. And so uh, brought up an important question, I think probably the most important question that anybody can ask themselves, and that is how do I know that my faith is sincere and that I don't have some sort of false assurance? And so we began talking about uh, ways that you can know that you have sincere faith. And uh, I, was, I have a list of things here to, to go over to, that you can evaluate your own life and see whether or not these things are present in your life. We talked about a couple of them last week. First one is, what is your faith in? And that's the most important one. You have to get that one right. And um, your faith has to be solely in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone and his life and death on the cross, his perfect life that he lived in your place, the life that you couldn't live. Uh, the death that he took on the cross was the death that you should have died. Um, and he absorbed the wrath of God that should have been poured out on you, but instead was poured out on him in your place so that if you believe in him, uh, his blood will cover your sins and you will have eternal life. So that's what, number one, that's what your faith has to be in. And then I said that uh, the rest of these will flow out of number one being correct. And so there will be some evidence of these things in your life if your faith is truly in Jesus Christ. Now, there will be the varying degrees. There are some Christians that are more faithful than other Christians. There are some Christians that have more conviction than other Christians, but there should be some level of this in your life if you are a believer. And by the way, this is something that anybody should ask themselves. Not Even if you've been a believer for 50 years, you can still go over these questions and affirm in your uh, mind that th these things are evident in my life. And so the second thing that we talked about was conviction and repentance of sin. And if you're a believer, uh, there should be some level of conviction in your life. Uh, and it should be probably evident, you know, for me, i I was fairly rebellious as a, as a kid and uh, did kind of my own thing. So it's it's very obvious to me f from the time that I wasn't a, a believer to when I became a believer 
the convictions that changed in my life, things that I didn't bother me at all, I, did, I had no problem doing them, now became uh, very convicting to me and was not something that, or I, I couldn't do it without feeling a sense of guilt or shame. I guess if you believe that you were saved at a really young age, it might be a little more difficult to see that in your life. But nevertheless, you should start to see these convictions um, get stronger and stronger in your life. I, I've heard it said that, you know, before you're a Christian, you sin a lot more and you have a lot less conviction. And after you're a Christian, you sin a lot less and have a lot more conviction um, because that's just kind of the nature. And then Pastor Tim's been talking about it <clears throat> with the Holy Spirit and the conviction, how he, you know, kind of slowly reveals your sins in your life and, it's, it's a good thing in the wisdom of the Spirit that he doesn't reveal them all at once. You know, as soon as you become a Christian, he says, bam, there's all the things you're doing wrong, so fix those. That wouldn't be, um, that would be pretty difficult to take in. And so in, in the Spirit's wisdom, he slowly reveals these things, and you grow you know, more and more into the image of Christ um, through the conviction in your life. But then also that it should be accompanied by repentance. Um, you know, conviction's great, and it should be there in your life. Uh, but if you're not repenting of the sin, if you're not attempting to turn from this sin, uh, then it's really not doing you any good. And so we talked about Proverbs 28, 13. It says, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So there should be a daily confessing and repenting of sins uh, before God. And the third thing, uh, so number one, one, what is your faith in? Number two, conviction and repentance of sin. And the third thing is obedient living. I want to be very clear, you're not saved by your works. You're not saved by your obedience. Uh, you're saved by Christ's obedience. Uh, nevertheless, faith will produce some level of obedience in your life, and you should desire to do uh, the commands of Scripture. You should desire to obey God, and it shouldn't be a burden for you. I think of 1 John uh, 5.3, I think. And it says, uh, for this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So, it should be a delight for you to please God. And I think, now obviously there are things that sometimes we don't want to do. You know, Paul talks about, I think in Romans 7, that he does things he doesn't want to do, doesn't do what he does want to do. So there are, is a fight with the flesh to do that which God wants us to do sometimes. But overwhelmingly, your desire should be uh, to please God, and it shouldn't be a burden for you. It shouldn't be a burden for you to read the Bible. It shouldn't be a burden for you to pray. It shouldn't be a burden for you to come to church and be around God's people. That should be what you delight, delight in doing. And I'm reminded of one of my favorite quotes is from John Flavel, who is, I think, a 17th century Puritan minister. And his quote says, Oh, how sweet it is to please God, to obey conscience, to preserve inward peace, to be able to say, this in this trial, I have discovered the sincerity of my heart. And again, so that, now he takes it a step further into obedience during trials uh, in that quote. But just there at the beginning, it says, oh, how sweet it is to please God. I, hopefully that is the case for you as a, as a Christian, that it is sweet for you to please God. It's not, um, like, oh, man, I have to do this now because this is what the Bible tells me to do. It's, no, I can't wait to do this um, because this is what God has planned for me to do. And that's something that I had to come to terms with, I guess. Before I was a Christian, I kind of looked at joy and Christian living as being two separate things. Like you can't, you know, I don't, I don't want to have my life revolve around a two thousand year old book or something like that because that's not very fun. And I want to go hang out with friends and party and be popular and all that stuff. That's a lot more fun than going to church and doing all this stuff. And so I kind of felt like those two things were separate things, um, but it wasn't, you know. By God's grace, he reveals to me, not only is 
it possible to have joy in Christian living, uh, but it's the only way to have joy is through Christian living. Um, now, of course, unbelievers will tell you that they have joy, but they don't truly have a true everlasting joy because uh, they have nothing that could possibly give them that. That comes from Christian living, and I recognize that more and more as my life goes on is that when I'm obedient to God, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, uh, that's when I have the most joy. And when I'm not and I've failed and fallen short, that's when I feel guilt and shame. And so hopefully that's a part of your life as well. So any comments, questions before I move on about obedient living? Ben? Yeah, I totally sympathize with what you're saying about like seeing for a long time, like pleasing God over here and joy over here. Like I was that way in high school too. And by shame, there were times that I kind of like felt that, man, I kind of wish I wasn't a Christian because I'm going to go have fun with my mm -hmm. friends. Yeah. Um, and how incredibly ignorant and foolish and short-sighted that is. I mean, you know, God's ways are not only pleasing to God, they're also like what's best for us. So like mm -hmm. by pleasing God, you're giving yourself what is best and like, um, but yeah, I, I didn't get that, and I, I don't, I don't know if like my church wasn't talking about it, or if I was like not paying attention, or maybe both, or what. But I, I do think we that would be beneficial to stress more that God's ways are always what's best. It's not like miserable life of obeying God versus joyful life of mm -hmm. just doing my own thing. By doing your own thing, you're actually like spiritually and, and sometimes even physically destroying yourself. Whereas like living God's way and doing things God's way is what's best for you spiritually. Yeah, that was certainly something that I had to learn. And I think of, uh, what's the verse, that what no eye has seen nor ear heard, or the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. A lot of people think that's talking about heaven, but it's really talking about the plan that God has for you and his will and his commands. And so you're living that out, then you have that that awaits you. You have something to say, yeah, Christy? I just I get it most of the time. Yeah, sure. I get it sometimes, but sometimes in my sinfulness and in my pride, I think my way is the best way. And mm -hmm. I don't want to be obedient, and I don't think that it leads to joy. I think that myself is the oh. joy. Yeah, certainly that's a good point and something to bring out. I mean, Again, not all of this is going to be perfect. Like you're always just going to, oh, I want to do only the will of God because that's what brings me joy. I and mean, you're going to be fighting the flesh and you're going to have the desire to do things that you know you shouldn't do. Um, but yet, again, that should be your overwhelming desire. Go ahead. Maybe a good metaphor that is fishing. Why does God make me stay in the water? I want to go to the beach. I want to do whatever. And it's like, no. God has you exactly the best place for you, mm -hmm. and His ways allows you to meet meet your potential and what He's created you to do before the mm -hmm. foundation of the world and do amazing things. Whereas you get out of His plan and could yeah. die, you know, yeah. people, you know, yeah. master. Basically. Yeah, you often think you you know where you should be. You know where you know why God why didn't you put me there? I would be so much better in this position or something like that. But God, of course, knows exactly where you need to be. Go ahead, Drew. Uh, definition of faith is trusting God's but you know, the older you get, the more you see that. Like, you know, when you're a child, you wanted to stay up late, your parents made you get fed. Then looking back, you realize the wisdom of that. It's not, it, you didn't, in that moment in time, you really did just wish that you could do the opposite mm -hmm. in, in your flesh. But then as you get older, you realize the wisdom of that. I think that Patrick Tim always talks about think, do, feel, right? Like, you think, this is what I should do, and you do it. And then later on, you realize that. Don't wait for yourself to feel like I should be obedient before you become obedient. You're obedient first, and then you go back and you're grateful for God's wisdom in that. So mm -hmm. I'm not disagreeing with you, but I kind of like a Christian. Sometimes you're like, I don't really want to do what I'm supposed to do, but I just, I, I know this is God's this is plan, you know, this is what it for teaches me to do, and so I'll do it, and later on I'll recognize the wisdom of that. Oh, yeah. I, again, I certainly do agree that there are times you don't want to do 
what you're supposed to do. I think there was a quote about, I think it was Charles Spurgeon or something, about prayer. That He said the times when you least want to pray are the times you most need to pray. And so that's what you, you kind of like. You get to like, oh, man, I don't want to go to bed. I don't want to sit up and pray here. But that's the time where you know, you're most susceptible to giving in to temptation or, or you know, giving in to despair, that kind of thing. So you have something you want to say? Well, yeah, I mean, just a big battle you Anacles, but it's just um, yeah, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. uh, this kind of discussion is not promoted on TV, obviously, in the movies and the sports yeah. arenas, and that's where our heroes are. Mm-hmm. So it's just got to be careful with not flooding our minds. Yeah, yeah. The next thing I'm going to talk about is, well, I guess we'll just go into that. Um, the, the, I guess, this is the fourth thing uh, is disconformity to the world. And I think that might be kind of what you're alluding to, Mark, is that. You know where where are your desires at? Are they to be? Are they everything that the world desires? You know, are you set apart from the rest of the world, or do you act the same way, talk the same way, dress the same way, watch the same things, listen to the same things, follow the same things that the world follows? Um, if it if you do, then you should have a concern that you might not truly be a believer. Again, let me stress that you you know I, it's not like I'm saying I have no desire to follow the world and I'm not drawn to anything like that. But again, overwhelmingly, your desire should be uh, not to be like the world. It should be, uh, you know, do you watch the same shows and TV shows, these raunchy, horrific TV shows, and have no problem with it, just like a, an unbeliever would? Uh, that should be a red flag to you. Um, or, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, if you sit down, somebody who says they're a Christian, and, you know, you're maybe in a Bible study, you're having a conversation, and, you know, they'll just sit there, and they won't say anything. It's not that you have to say anything, but... They have nothing to say about the Word of God, but then if you have a conversation about like the latest celebrity gossip, uh, then they're they're the first in line to let you know what's what's the scoop on that. So that kind of thing. Hopefully, you're not that kind of person. Hopefully, um, the Word of God is what brings the most out of you. And uh, so, yeah, disconformity to the world. Romans twelve two says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." First John two fifteen and through seventeen says, "Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So it's something to evaluate in your own life. Again, you're going to have draws to the world, um, but something you have to continually fight against and pray against that the Lord would." lead you away from that. You know, you're in the world, not of the world. You commonly hear that being said uh, about the Christian, and that's true. Um, any other comments on that? Go ahead. Uh, if you go down to verse 8, the chapter 1 there, it says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of God our Lord. And I mean, that right there, I think, speaks to the whole idea of what are you ashamed of if you're not ashamed of, you know, the world, the world looking down on you or what, you know what I mean? So, kind of like that mindset of, don't let the world tell you how to how to, you know, don't be ashamed of what God says because the world doesn't, you know. Yeah, yeah the world would tell you to be ashamed of, of God, um, but you should not be ashamed of God because that's the truth. Um, so the fifth thing, the final thing I'll, I'll say is that um, what do other Christians and those closest to you say about you? I think is an important thing to evaluate. Now, it's not the only thing you should look at in terms of assuring whether or not you have salvation. You have to consider the source of who's telling you this. I mean, it might be somebody that has no idea what a 
Christian is to act like and be like. Um, so if they tell you that you're a Christian, you know, you might have to kind of consider that that might not have a lot of weight. Um, but hopefully if you're going to a biblical church like this and you are around godly people uh, and they have been around you enough to, to know your life and know your desires, they'll be able to say that, yeah, that person is a Christian, that person does love um, God and it's evident in their life. And on the, on the flip side of that, if somebody that you spend all kinds of time with um, would say, like, I, I had no idea that they were a Christian. I didn't even know that that was important to them at all, then that should be alarming to you. Um, so that would be another way. Um, and that's what Timothy does here, or excuse me, Paul does here to Timothy. It's, again, somebody who is very close, two people are very close together. Paul is saying, you know, I've evaluated your life. And what better recommendation than to have from the Apostle Paul, who would know sincere faith better than anybody, um, evaluates and says, yeah, Timothy, you have sincere faith. Um, so that would certainly be a great encouragement uh, for Timothy. And then I'd also add, if... If you are unsure uh, whether or not your faith is sincere, maybe you think it is one day and the next day you don't, I'd encourage you to read the book of 1 John. I've already made a couple references uh, to some verses in there, but that's really what the whole book is about, is about knowing whether or not you have uh, sincere faith and how do you know what are the marks of being a Christian, uh, the evidences that you should see in your life, and the things you'll see if you're not a Christian. So that's only like five or six chapters. You can read it in one night if you want, um, and it can give you some helpful instruction, uh, things to consider in your life to find out whether you have sincere faith. So anything else you guys think of that you'd recommend to evaluate yourself to find out whether or not you have sincere faith? Anything that comes to mind? Hey, we'll move on. Then. Um, I don't think I wanted to do that. Yeah, here we go. Uh, so we'll move on. Then, uh, for this reason, or where are we? Nope, not yet there. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Yeah, so in verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Um, so I'll talk about this faith that was in uh, their mother, and in Timothy's mother and grandmother. And so in Acts 16, we're told uh, that Timothy's mother was Jewish and a believer, and his father was uh, Greek, and he was not a believer. And so... Evidently, Timothy's mother, Eunice, and grandmother are the only uh, semblance of Christian influence, of influence of the faith uh, that was in Timothy's life growing up. So that speaks to the incredibly high calling and role that you have as a woman, as a mother, as a grandmother, um, to think of the amount of impact that you might have on your children. And I, I often hear of, it's probably because I'm a, a guy, I guess, but I hear of the high calling that a man has to be a leader, to be a spiritual leader, that kind of thing. And that's certainly true. You do have that high calling, but so too does a woman to have, uh, or so too does a woman have that high calling um, to be a, a leader uh, in the same way, spiritually to their family and influencing their children. You know, I think of my own mother who... I have to say nice things about her because she's probably going to watch Chris's recording of this. But um, I don't only say it because of that, because she's been, and Drew Pinapes has been a wonderful mother to us, uh, somebody who has loved the Word of God, has taught us the Word of God, and cared for us, always made sure we had what we needed. Um, so I am incredibly thankful for the influence and impact that she has had on me. And so does anybody else have examples of you know women in their life that have maybe your mother, your grandmother, or... Uh, any examples from scripture? Anything that comes to your mind when you think of this? Well, Go ahead. I'll say my mother was a prayer warrior, and I learned that 
from her. Um, but the other thing that both C.S. Lewis and Abraham Lincoln would have said, their mother was the most powerful influence in their life, and she, they both lost their mother at age 10. So that wow. just goes to something yeah. that might be close to that anyway. That's mm -hmm. really something yeah. that how formative, you know, the hand across the cradle, you know, how formative in those early years of a mother is to the children and the future of changing the world. Yeah, that's pretty significant. If you only knew her for 10 years and that was the most important influence on your life, something else. A Catholic, or, yeah, go ahead. Oh, another thing I thought of was Susanna Wesley, the mother of okay. John and Charles Wesley. Yeah. Like, sort of the way she would pray and the example that she would set. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Your prayer life is, is one of the most important things. And that's one of the things that, you know, if you feel like you're not gifted in certain areas of teaching or something like that, you can always pray. I mean, anybody can pray and just continually do that. Is that it, Gabby? My Certainly, is something that I think everybody needs in their life. And you mentioned Carol and Vicky had brought up stories of the influence that both your friends or whatever, however your connection was to them, um, helped share the gospel with somebody right before they were were dying. So I mean, you think about the impact that that has as well. And the other thing is <clears throat> the influence should be the Christian influence. I mean, that's the most important part. I mean, you can teach them nice things, how to live and get a, get around in the world and be successful, that kind of thing. And there's there's nothing wrong with teaching them that, but if you're not going to teach them the Word of God, if you're not going to teach them things that have eternal value, um, then you're really missing the mark. So uh, that that's something that you know you should strive for. Again, we'll preface, you're going to fall short, you're going to make mistakes, you're not going to be perfect, um, but you need to know the Word of God so that you can teach the Word of God to your children. All right, I think it would be helpful to, and we might be going here, so if I'm stealing your phone right, but you know, over in 315, God, first Second Timothy 315 it says from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. So connecting that with this, he's learning the sacred scriptures from his grandmother and mother, you know, neither of whom would have been rabbis and synagogues. Right. So the teaching would have been, you know, kind of like around the kitchen table or on the bedside or that sort of thing. Um so you know it's not just that they're modeling a godly example, they're doing that, but in addition to that, they're also like verbally communicating God's word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good connection there. Um, Just like Deuteronomy six, um, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand. They shall be a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house. And on your mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what we're called to do. I mean, as a mother and a father, you're called to to speak of the word in that way to your children. Um, that's really your most important calling as a parent. Go ahead, Vicki. Um, yeah, just that I think that I had godly mentors in my life, so when I became a mom, it really influenced me, and then to have my adult children come back and it's like, Mom, I heard this song, and it, you know, I remember you playing that to us, and mm -hmm. especially when I talk about Mom, I still know those scriptures that, you know, you insist yeah. we memorize, and so it's just, it does pay. Mm -hmm. 
obey God and teach our children. Yeah. Even if you don't think they're listening. Yeah. Um, a few minutes here, a few minutes mm -hmm. there. Yeah, and you don't always see the fruits of that in it right away. Yeah. Sometimes it's many, many years down the road. Go ahead. I also just love this, this verse in light of that, what we were talking about earlier, of God's sovereignty. I mean, he knows our family. He knows our situation. And every person, he has a plan for their family and the things that come on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he's sovereign over, over all things. And sometimes he silently chooses to give you a wonderful motherly influence um, that I, I, I was given, certainly, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, so any examples from Scripture that you guys can think of, of of this kind of woman leadership? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, Mary, the mother of Jesus, with him throughout his life, to the cross. Yeah, that would be like Joseph comes off the ladder. I don't know. That would be interesting to try to be the mother of Jesus and how you influence somebody who's sinless. I don't know, but it is interesting. Um, she never had his bank account. That's true, huh? Yeah, that's true. Um, I think like Esther and Deborah, of course, are common examples for scripture. I guess it's not so much in a motherly role, but uh, just in fulfilling the calling that they had that God had brought them to. I think of Priscilla as well as, I think, What's that? What her, her and Aquila talked to Apollos, is that right? Uh, and kind of help him come to a better understanding of the faith. It seems like that's what it's saying there. So it certainly had an influence on them, uh, on this person uh, knowing the scriptures better. Yeah. Yeah, that's. That's a good example as well. Another, another example I have from church history would be uh, Monica, or sometimes referred to as Saint Monica. Are you familiar with? Yeah, August Augustine's mom. Um, actually, Santa Monica in California. You know that city? It's named after that. It's a little fun fact for you. Um, but anyway, yeah. If you've never read that story, I would encourage you to look that up. It's it's pretty um, incredible because you know Augustine or Augustine, whatever you say. Um, I don't know. Who, I don't know what the proper way to pronounce it is, but anyway, if you are into church history at all, you would know who this, uh, who he was. He's played a significant role and was really highly revered in the faith as, you know, a prominent thinker in the Christian religion. He's wrote a lot of things that we still look back to today. And uh, for the large majority of his childhood, I don't think he was saved until he was like thirty something. Um, he was very rebellious and did not listen to his mother. And it's, it's very similar to the situation you have in. Uh, with Timothy, uh, Monica married an unbeliever and who was somewhat hostile to the faith. And so really, Augustine's only uh, example of the faith and Christianity, her only influence, was from his mom. And she, it talks about how much she just prayed for him over and over and over again um, in hopes that he would um, come to faith and eventually does. And then he's he's gone on to write many things about her and the influence she had and how significant uh, she was in her life. So hopefully you're getting the uh, picture here that there's a high calling to be a mother and a grandmother. Um, certainly you're going to fall short, but, you know, through God's grace, he'll give you the help you need. Um, but you will have a profound influence on uh, children, and really not just children, but all kinds of people. So uh, any other final comments? Go ahead, Diane. The world today is teaching women that you know, they need to be the leaders. They, mm -hmm. you know, this, and the Bible teaches that, and the opposite of 
we have a disciplinary role right. than the man does yeah. in, in a family. And I think it's sad what our young women are hearing yeah. in the world today that you know that you're they should be the president, they right. should be this and that. And you can see the influence that it's had on our country with you know more women taking places outside of the home. Mm -hmm. When they should be at home children. Yeah, I don't know. There's probably nothing more noble than to be at home with the children. Not to say you can't have a job. I mean, I understand that given times, sometimes you need that. But to be able to be at home and to be that influence on the children, um, that's a, probably the greatest role you can fulfill. And so I, and a lot of women today get offended that like they can't be a preacher, they can't be a teacher, or something like that. There's really nothing to be offended. Like you said, we've just been called to different roles. And one role is not more significant than the other. Um, but that's just what God has planned out for us in the lives that we should live. Anything else? That's only the other hand. Go ahead. I just want to ask that. It is interesting how you include this gra uh, grandmother as well. I mean, our culture, not all families are like this, but some families, like you want to see your grandparents like once a year on Christmas or something like that, mm -hmm. have a very minimal role to play in the grandkids' lives. And, you know, that happens, but, you know, it's in a way unfortunate because, you know, godly grandparents can, you know, have a very powerful impact on the grandchildren. Yeah, that's a good example too there. I mean, if you have your children are all grown and out of the house, then maybe you think, oh, my job's done, or, uh, you know, I have nothing else to influence. But you can still influence your children, one, and uh, you can also influence grandchildren if you have that. So, Emmanuel, you had something? Yeah, I was going to talk about when we think about God as like the boss, something we are working for to get something. We can easily quit when the job is really uh, big for us. So I think God wants us to think of Him as like a partner in a business. So when you see, when you are a partner in a business company and you own that business, you're working for a job, all of the two of you, you're working for like hard, right? You, it will be easily for you to quit because like you signed a contract with your partner. So when you Think of God as like a, uh, a boss that is working for him to get what he wants, what he's kind of life. He's very easy for you to do. So God doesn't want us to think that way. God wants us to think as for him as a partner. And also, like, he values our, uh, our understanding and our thought, and we also value his thought. And the difference between us and God is that he's always right. He's that kind of partner who's always, always right. He doesn't make a mistake. But we do make a mistake. Mm -hmm. So for us to work well with him, we have to sit in his like his advice so we don't go off, so we don't uh, make the business more bankrupt or like that, collapse. So my point is that like also the same thing with money. When you my company, when they take the company, no one is above you, no one is like under you. And that way, when you value somebody in your in your relationship, that relationship will last long because you sign the contract. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess you're working you, to use your example. You're working for God. I mean, you're you're doing everything for God's glory. I mean, so that's the ultimate goal. And um, yeah, there is benefits for you, kind of like we talked about along the way. That you know, if you are. Uh, you kind of talk about the partnership, I guess. You see that, you know, you're not only just doing this just to, I mean, you, you really are. The aim is to please God, to bring glory to God. That would be the aim of why you do anything. Um, but along with that comes blessing and 
you know, living life the way God wants you to. And so, I mean, I don't know if that's kind of what you're talking about. I'm, I'm probably missing your point, but does anybody else have anything to, to comment? Bennett, go ahead. Uh, something that comes to mind. Uh, uh, when you read the Acts 16 of Timothy, you are told that his father was Greek. Yeah. So, uh, some people say maybe their father was not a Christian, and then like that. But I wanted to speak to a you know, your husband and your wife don't belong to the same church. Mm-hmm. And I had a colleague who uh, was in church with in Ghana, and she married and the father and the husband was in this charismatic church. And then she said she visited the husband's church a couple of times. And then I don't want my children to be in that church. Mm-hmm. So she took responsibility to send the children to the Baptist church. Mm-hmm. And she decided to. But the husband yeah. and then you have church. And you yeah. see that different churches yeah yeah that's an interesting dilemma i mean certainly which is why all the more you should strive to marry another christian believer and not you know example here was that yeah i mean as much as you can i guess i mean these things kind of come up along the way and there's certain times where you got to stand up and and take a stand where you think is necessary so i that would be an example of that you brought up the example of monica and i wanted to name my first daughter monica but monica lewis Ruin that. <laughs> um, but one thing that stri- that struck me because I read biographies and books about you know incredible godly mothers and whatever Monica would be one of them and she the story like you said is so interesting she just literally chased him down mm-hmm. as an adult when he was living with women and fathering kids and just running away from her horrible and she never gave up she had faith and she went to Ambrose to say please reach my son and he looked at her and he said. It cannot be that the son of these tears should perish. And that's exactly what happened. It's the same uh, thing yeah. with, with Hannah crying out, you know, to, and Eli said, oh, my, you know, God's mm-hmm. hearing this. And so for all mothers, that's something to, even when maybe your kid isn't doing the decisions that you would like them to make or, you know, whatever. It's mm-hmm. the fact, never give up, mm-hmm. you know, and, and God hears that. You yeah. know, he holds our tears in a bottle. Like he literally uses it. So to yeah. me that, that's why Monica is a hero to me, how she just, it'd be one thing to just go, it's impossible, because right. he was so willful, right. stubborn, and just anti, you know, and all these heresies, and making damn, not just mm-hmm. not following Christ, but damaging, mm-hmm. you know, Christianity, and yet, you know, yeah. her tears were not wasted, yeah. and God answered. Yeah, that would certainly be tempting to just give up and say, oh, there's no point in me continuing to pray, continue to try to have an influence, clearly it's not working, so, but that's a a good example of why you sh- you should continue and to press forward uh, in that. So, well, we've got five minutes left. Um, we'll move on here uh, to talking about uh, in verse uh, the rest of verse six. So, for this reason, I remind you to fan into f- or going on to verse six. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And so, this gift that uh, is being mentioned here. It's talking about Timothy's ministerial gift and his gift to be a preacher and a teacher and to be a leader and exhort people. This is the kind of gift that has been given to Timothy. And so 
Uh, remember, we talked about Timothy is sometimes referred to as timid Timothy. Um, for whatever reason, it seems Timothy was uncertain or somewhat fearful or intimidated maybe about his uh, uh, living out his calling to be a minister. And I should be clear, I don't think Timothy was some sort of like wimpy or, or cowardly, weak individual. So I don't want to, I think that's sometimes the picture that gets painted of him. I don't think that was at all the case. I think he was a very faithful, hardworking, and zealous minister of the gospel. In Philippians 2, uh, when Paul's writing to the church of Philippi, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, as he served with, proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So again, this is the Apostle Paul, who uh, is a very now faithful man, uh, is giving this kind of um, attestation to Timothy and the work that he's done, and that he, he says he has no one else like him. There's nobody else in all that Paul has worked with that uh, genuinely cares for people like Timothy does. And so certainly don't want to give that across the image that Timothy was timid and, and, and just afraid and cowardly. Um, but it does seem, given the amount of times that Paul encourages Timothy to be bold, urges him to be, not be ashamed and not be fearful, that maybe, maybe Timothy just wasn't naturally as bold as Paul was. And... Uh, so possibly had some struggles in that area. Go ahead, Carol, you have something? Well, to me, when I think of Timothy, I think of humility and so on. And it reminds me of 1 Peter um, 4, um, 11. Um, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one, and this is the key for Timothy, I think, is one who serves by the strength that God supplies Mm-hmm. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, you know, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever, Amen. And that's just the thing. What the book why Paul says, "When I am weak, then I am strong," because Christ is supplying the strength. Mm-hmm. He's supplying, He's supplying the wisdom and and the power that comes along, and therefore He gets all the glory. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's the recognition that the strength will be given to you by God, and it goes on to say that you know in verse seven. Paul says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so we'll get to that. I mean, that's really the reason why there's no, or why Timothy should not be ashamed or should not be timid or, or whatever it might be, um, is because God has given us a spirit to overcome that. Um, so I'll just, go ahead. Real quick, um, I find it encouraging that God's spirit can help us like overcome personality quirks and Mm-hmm. Traits that are maybe like less than desirable. Uh, you know, you do encounter a lot of people just think like, "Oh, um, I'm not a people person. I'm never going to change." Or, you know, "I'm not, I'm not a hard worker. I'm never going to change." Well, I mean, certainly we've all got our tendencies here and there, but God's Spirit can kind of overcome that so that we really grow substantially in these different areas. Uh, so, you know, you say say right now you're thinking of yourself as like, you know, real timid or real afraid or, or whatever. Uh, you know. Have faith that over time, God by His Spirit can gradually change you and grow you, so that you know five years from now you're considerably different. Mm-hmm. I do. I do think a lot of people kind of get blocked in this mentality that this is just who I am. Can't change. Can't really develop in this area. Uh, when that's really not at all what the Bible teaches. You know, God's mm-hmm. Spirit is a lot stronger than our personality types, and He can grow us in ways that we hardly imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's. I think of like for me. Teaching Sunday school is never something I would have envisioned myself doing. I think Drew can test. I was pretty to myself, kind of shy guy. 
Yeah, that's, 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 and that's by the spirit or by the grace of God, by the strength that God gives to you to make you think, hey, maybe I could teach a Sunday school class when that's certainly not naturally what I'm good at is public speaking. But um, anyway, yeah, that, that was an example in my own life, and I'm sure that's probably happened in your guys' lives as well. Um, and to not think that, or, or really use that as an excuse to say, well, I'm just not really. And then maybe you're not gifted in certain areas, that's fine, but uh, sometimes you can use that as an excuse to say, you know, God's not called me to this and, and never really pursue growing in that area and whatnot. So 1030, we'll go ahead and stop there. Uh, any other final comments or questions before I close? All right, I'll close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for another time to gather together and to read and study your word, Lord, uh, that is infallible, is without error. We just pray that we would hold true to these things. Um, we pray that we would evaluate our own lives and find out whether or not our faith is sincere and that we would uh, use your word to, to determine whether or not our faith is sincere, Lord, and not maybe something that somebody else says or recommends to us, but um, that it would be rooted in your word and, and that we, we could be sure that we are saved, Lord. We thank you for um, the, the motherly and grandmotherly influences that we've all had in our own lives, Lord, um, and the impact that they've had on us. We just pray that you would continue to raise up these type of women and mothers um, to be able to influence um, kids and, and, and people from generations, Lord, and so that you would work through them um, to ultimately bring glory to your name, Lord. And we just thank you again for this study. We pray now that you would be with Pastor Tim as he teaches. Give him wisdom um, to be able to um, communicate your word clearly to us, Lord. And I pray that it would uh, have an impact on our lives, Lord, and that uh, we would give you the praise and the glory through it all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.